What is big? At UCF, being big provides options. Big creates opportunity, and Big offers more than 80 accredited online programs and certificates that fit your life no matter where you live. Ranked as one of the nation's top 15 online programs by U.S. News & World Report, UCF Online is more than just convenient, it's life-changing. To apply or search for degrees, visit ucf.edu online. From the University of Central Florida Center for Distributed Learning, I am Tom Cavanaugh. And I am Kelvin Thompson. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Welcome, dear listener. Just oh, the one? And yes, just the one. <laughs> just the one. Just the one. <laughs> Boy, that is setting a low <laughs> Hello. Well, I mean, let's make an assumption here that... that People are not listening in a vast crowd. It's not being, you know, broadcast to a group. So we are talking individually mm. to a single listener. It's personalized learning. That's it what is. You're it is <laughs> personalized what you're, learning. That's, what you're that's right. It's, it's right. broadcasting many to one. Although, as a as a potential um, uh, teachable moment, right? Surely that is a viable use case scenario. If you would like to assemble. 5, 10, 15, 20 <laughs> yeah. of, of your dearest colleagues and sit around, you know, like old-time radio yeah. and gather around the, the speaker and listen. We'd it's, welcome that. Take a picture of it. Send it to us. Tom and Kelvin and Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> little or- Why did she have no irises? You're really getting off on a tangent there, Dr. Thompson. Was I ever, <laughs> was I ever on the main road? The, the phantom nose. Yeah. Ooh. I thought that was the shadow nose. The shadow nose. You're right. It is the shadow. I should know. Who that. knows what evil lurks in the hearts of, of men. men? That's right. My the dad shadow nose. But yeah. we digress. Do we? we digress. I don't know. So as as we were kind of digressing and and talking, um, I did hear the the delicate burbles of the delicate burbles. Is that the, like a, an adjacent a, possible to the, the dulcet gurgles? gurgles. Yes. The, <laughs> the delicate burbles of. Uh, of a fine brew, I am sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, what am I stirring here, Kelvin? Well, I've brought in today, Tom, my go-to high-end coffee blend, Storyville Coffee. We've had this coffee before, you might remember, on the show. This particular batch was hand-delivered by our UCF colleague, Bren Bedford, after a trip to the Pike Place Storyville Cafe in Seattle. Uh, Bren, uh, shout out to the Top Cast Insiders, kind of coordinates the production of our TopCast Insider Newsletter. And hey, if you haven't registered to get that monthly newsletter, you could you could do that rather easily. Just uh, send us an email to topcast at ucf.edu. We'll, we'll send you a link because I don't remember the URL to it right this. <laughs> right this <laughs> I'm sure it'll be in the, the vast show notes. It, 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 the vast show notes. Yes, it will. But I've brought Storyville back in today for a very specific reason, Tom, not just for because I didn't have any other coffee because Lord knows I got a lot of coffee. We, yeah, <laughs> and we, we do have, um, to everybody who's actually sent us coffee, thank, thank you. you. Uh, we, will, we will drink it all that's, at some point on, right. on the show. That's, that's the exactly The problem is right. we're only doing this once a month, right? That's right. It, it may force us <laughs> to, just to get through the coffee to increase the, uh, the productivity. But I, uh, I brought this in for a reason because I recently watched a one-and-a-half-minute video in which the artistry, 
and the humanness. I, I kid you not, the artistry and the humanness of the Storyville coffee blend creation and coffee roasting process are beautifully portrayed in an elegant and I will even say poetic manner. Although, uh, full disclosure, a friend of mine who first introduced me to Storyville years ago, Vernon Rainwater, is the narrator of the video, but it was beautiful. So, that's the setup, but here's my hint. I'm adding a hint, Tom, because my kung fu's been weak lately. My hint for today's Coffee Connection is antithesis. Antithesis. So, antithesis. So that's my setup, and that's my hint. So how's the coffee, and do you get some kind of a semblance of a connection to today's topic? The coffee is good. You do brew a strong cup of coffee. I, I was thinking, I was thinking, I don't know what I did. This is stronger than normal. It I is, yeah. I'm not sure what I, you know, my kung fu in the coffee making department may be weak too. No, I mean, that's, maybe that's the way you're supposed to have it, but. Yeah, it's a little stronger yeah. than normal. But it's good. And as you know, I, I froof it up with, with a whitener of some sort. <laughs> um, it's definitely a, a, a more delicate uh, shade than, <laughs> than the oily blackness uh, <laughs> in, my, in my cup that I'm drinking. Uh, but it's good. Yeah. Um, and as far as the, uh, the kung fu goes, um, I'm working on it. <laughs> Uh, I happen to know what we're talking about. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, that's a hint. (laughs) Well, you can tell us the topic, and I'll try to make the connection if you want. That's fine. (laughs) All right. So um, there has been quite a bit of of growing discussion and interest in, and I think rightfully so, the subject of – of analytics mm-hmm. and how do we identify students at risk and intervene to uh, get them back on track uh, before it's too late. Yeah, that is today's topic. And in my antithetical uh, setup with the Storyville coffee and the humanness and the artistry of the blending and, and coffee roasting process was really just to underscore that with analytics, we tend to think scale and automatic even and kind of homogenizing and moving along in some sort of a almost AI kind of, hey, we're going to figure this all out kind of way. And, and I'm just a little voice crying in the wilderness of like, humans, humans <laughs> in the loop, humans. Okay, I get it now. Yeah. So thank you. But yeah, yeah I think you're right. And we've I've even been in meetings where um, I or you or others mm-hmm. have – reminded people that, hey, that, you know, that report that you're showing mm-hmm. with all the numbers and the colorful charts that says whether or not this student is uh, likely to graduate in that major, um, let's not forget there, that's a human being. Yeah. And that long spreadsheet with, you know, <laughs> 60,000 of those yeah. represents 60,000 individuals here at, at UCF, actually 68,000 here <laughs> at UCF. Um, and so you, you really, I think, I think you make a good point. You can't lose sight of the, in the numbers and, and sort of these goals to move retention one percentage point or two percentage points or yeah. graduation by whatever that, that we are talking about human beings here. Yeah. Yeah. What you said. That, yeah. That's exactly right. So thank you for that. I, I agree. But I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that this whole learning analytics trajectory is a, is a very useful road to, to travel potentially. Yeah, well, I'm on that bus. I'm totally uh, for it. Uh, I, th- I think that um, that it is um, 
uh, an appropriate use of uh, of kind of machine skills. <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. let's take advantage of the ability of computers to compute and interpret large quantities of data and find meaning in it. Um, I, I feel the same way about healthcare. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I think we ought to be able to have computers help us diagnose things when if when it can be a, a tool. Mm-hmm to support a doctor. Mm-hmm. And I guess we would take the sort of the same kind of analogy or approach um, in analytics. Mm-hmm. At least that's my perspective um, where – so I use this example a lot. If you present a, uh, a, a particular – I don't know. Let's say a prediction about a student. Hey, you're at risk. You are on track to fail this course. Mm-hmm. And you show that exact same data – and message to two different stu- students in the same class, so the the message is neutral, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's um, it's not customized. Mm-hmm. Each of those students could have a wildly different reaction to that information. Mm-hmm. One student could potentially get inspired by that and get their butt in gear and say, "Yeah, I need to improve," and the other mm-hmm. one could just get discouraged and drop out. Right. And it's one reason why um, you have to call the doctor to get your test results. Right. Yeah, very good metaphor, Tom. Or is that an analogy or a simile? I don't know, but it, it's good, whatever it is. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's true. And and it's the same thing here in, in education where, where the stakes maybe aren't quite as high, um, but right. but are still pretty darn high um, when, it, when you're talking about whether or not you're going to stay in school. Um, so if analytics can be used as a tool for the human being to have an interaction with the student about – I think then um, it could be really useful. We certainly want to, to, to extend your medical metaphor, we certainly want to do no harm, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, the Hippocratic Oath of Higher Education. That, that, yeah. That's right. <laughs> and I guess maybe just uh, because we kind of uh, in, assumed, I suppose, everybody's on the same page with us, it might be maybe not a bad thing just to kind of say that uh, uh, what we're saying to in learning analytics here. This is all, let me throw out a cloud of words, you know, big data, data science, educational data mining, business intelligence, all of that. Uh, Baker and Siemens in 2014 uh, made the phrase, one can scan through large data sets to discover patterns. And what we're saying is, yes, all of that, broad brushstroke backdrop. But what I think we're mostly concerned about, Tom, in our world is, and maybe for this particular episode, is how to leverage real-time learning management system data for student success in particular against the backdrop of all the the other kinds of big data at our institutions. Would you agree? Yeah, that is, that's true. Um, yeah, I think it's good to kind of sharpen that pencil a little bit because um, there are all kinds of data, big data initiatives going on here and elsewhere that uh, involve um, – you know, kind of institutional data, mm-hmm. SIS data, mm-hmm. ERP mm-hmm. data, mm-hmm. Um, and and look at much more macro patterns uh, of of predictive models and things like that. And um, the world that we live in, ours is much more granular at the course level, and that's what we've been spending a lot of our yeah. our yeah. focus on. Obviously, in collaboration with the folks on campus here who are doing things um, kind of at the more institutional level. Mm-hmm. trying to just make sure that everything that we're doing is complementary for each other and, and at some point we'll all talk to each other. Yeah, and I'm totally going to put you on the spot here. You feel a little bit comfortable in broad brushstrokes talking about the the recent um, 
kind of prototypical predictive model that we've been playing around with just a, a little bit because it does speak to SIS data and uh, maybe the relationship to uh, real-time LMS data just as a just as a toe in the water kind of thing. Uh, sure, um, you know so this is obviously more vision than mm -hmm. practice for us right now. But as a um, concrete example, yeah. Well, I mean, at at the university, we do have some large-scale predictive um, analytic kind of efforts going on, which is mostly using uh, SIS data and looking at you know end of course grades and you know registration patterns and other kinds of uh, factors to determine whether or not somebody's at risk or or will graduate in a particular major. Um, and then what we've been doing at the, at the course level is trying to look at, you know, what's happening today with a particular student. And both through some tools that we've built ourselves as well as some things that are kind of out of the box or coming soon uh, in, the, in the LMS that we, we happen to be using um, are trying to figure out ways that we can have those two systems talk to each other so that the faculty can send information to the advising community, and everybody keeps using the the platforms that they're used to using. We don't have to build some sort of middleware in between right, right, that everybody right. has to log into because nobody's going to log into yet no. another thing. No. That's been made clear. Yes, <laughs> and I agree with it because oh. I feel the exact same. The exact. I don't want to do anything more that I have to do. I'm already here. Why right. would I go somewhere else? Right. And when you're talking about scale, and you've got you know in some cases fairly large classes, and um, you know the the most valuable resource a faculty member has is his or her time. Mm -hmm. We want them focused on the things that matter. Mm -hmm. And um, and if they can focus on those students that maybe if they just sent an extra message or invited them for office hours or whatever it might mm -hmm. be mm -hmm. could make the difference, um, you know, kind of elevating those students to, to put right in front of their faces and say, hey, here, here are a couple that you probably need to pay attention to. I think it's well worth the effort. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And and to that point, I just as a, I don't know, line of the sand, flag in the, the ground, I'm fascinated by what might influence faculty. We're talking a lot about empowering decision makers, right, uh, especially faculty because they're very strategic. Uh, also at the individual student level, you gave that example um, earlier uh, a few minutes ago. But I, this is not a great example, but I think it's a, it's a, it serves as a placeholder. I read a study recently of, of Dutch primary teachers and their data-based decision-making actions. And the, the researchers concluded that study with this statement, which I, I think is just kind of emblematic, right? The present study indicates that teachers perceived control of data use their attitude regarding its benefits and consequences, and their intention to use data positively influence their instructional data use. So I think that's fascinating. There are, there are human factors that affect human data use, and if we want to connect uh, these uh, humans, the, the faculty and the students, if we want to connect uh, to them actionable data we've got to also be mindful about what are these other factors that are going to cause them to take action or not, or to, to dismiss it or to, to do something with it. And, and that's, that's really, I'm not hearing a whole lot about that. I think it's an area that we need to explore a little bit further. Yeah, I, well, it's, that is interesting. And it is, it's something that I was thinking about talking about, probably jumping ahead in our conversation, but 
whatever. Here we go. <laughs> um, um, the whole concept of ethics around the use of, of uh, analytics yeah, data. big. That's big. It is big, and it's probably worth a, its own discussion. But just to kind of touch on it, um, there are a number of kind of facets to it, and there's been a lot published about it. Um, you know, one area that I find fascinating is um, the kind of responsibility to act um, hmm. kind of ethos mm-hmm. that um, if you do know something about a student, then you have a responsibility to do something with that. If you see a student through data that is going to fail and you don't do anything about it, then mm-hmm. you, ha- you have a certain amount of culpability there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's something to that. Mm-hmm. But it's a fine line to walk because um, there's an awful lot of questions of bias in here that you have to right. be careful about. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's um, you know, a student's incoming socioeconomic status or, yeah. or whatever um, being correlated with um, you know, students who struggle more or first time in college or um, first gen or whatever – Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to necessarily judge a student on anything other than their performance because mm-hmm. that's only fair. Um, but you also want to be able to give them all the support that they might need. Right. And, you know, and how, do you, how do you walk that line? And, and it can be difficult. And I think mm-hmm. what we're trying to do is err on the side of, um, of you know, not prejudging, obviously, like, like you know, other schools around the country are, are doing. Yeah. And I mean, I think phrases like um, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Right. You want to steer clear of that. And I think we've got a, it seems like to me, it's been a while since I've read this literature, but I think we've got a a widely accepted literature base on the role of high expectations on student performance, Mm -hmm. you know, appropriate, not unrealistic, not crazy, (laughs) but but appropriately high expectations. And so you wouldn't want to say, oh, well, you know, well, Tom... Tom was predicted not to do well anyway. <laughs> you wouldn't want that, right? Right. Yeah. In fact, that's come up in some faculty discussions where, you know, the faculty that we talk to on our advisory boards uh, and and other kinds of you know focus groups and things that we do, they're awesome, and um, I have no worries about them. But they have raised the question that you know you have a lot of students and you're trying to um, kind of focus on on everybody at the same time. Um, it is possible that if some predictive algorithm popped up and said, gee, Kelvin is at risk of, uh, of not uh, succeeding, there is a potential temptation by some, mm-hmm. it's human nature, to write them off yeah. and say, well, I'm going to focus my efforts on areas where I think it's going to bear fruit. And that's really not fair. No, that's not what we want to be about at all. I think if we had to boil down what we want to be about, it's, it's about helping – it's about reinforcing agency really. It's student agency – faculty agency, uh, what can we do to support um, the excellence that's already going on there? It's like an exosuit. It's like Iron Man, Tom. <laughs> it's like, you know, you're going to you know, you're, you're, you're go out there and, and still get up and move and, and, I don't know, chop some wood or pick up that, that uh, you know, obstacle in front of you. But the exosuit is just helping to support what you're going to do anyway. It's just giving you a little extra oomph. I got a mental picture of Tony Stark chopping wood now in a Iron Man suit, which That's right. is an odd f- image. But hey. But hey. Evocative. Evocative. Maybe. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years ago, I was fortunate enough to participate in a convening um, 
in California. It was called uh, Asilomar II. Mm-hmm. It was in Monterey at this sort of uh, conference center that they have. It was a beautiful area. Mm-hmm. But it was put together um, to talk about this, about ethics and um, and the use of student data. And um, one, of the th- one of the organizers of that meeting is a, a Stanford researcher named Mitchell Stevens. And, and he talks about the concept of open futures. Hmm. So analytics and the use of student data shouldn't limit opportunities for students, right? right. It shouldn't be used as something that, that closes doors for mm-hmm. students, but it should be used instead to help open doors for students. Excellent metaphor. And I, I mean, it resonates with me because sometimes you have to have a really hard conversation with students. One of our, mm-hmm. one of the systems we're using here on campus you know, kind of tells an advisor or somebody how likely it is a student's going to graduate in that major, and it right, may be that right. it's not very likely. Mm-hmm. So you have to have an honest conversation with the student based on the data. It's like, hey, you know, maybe you're not meant to be an aerospace engineer. Mm-hmm. It's a hard major, but let's based on where you have been successful, let's see where you can be successful and mm-hmm. fulfilled and challenged and happy. Um, Without the data, you wouldn't be able to have that conversation. And it's not about saying you're not going to close this door. Forget right. about aerospace engineering. Right. But it's about opening another door or several other doors to say, hey, you know, have, have you thought about these? Because you seem to be really successful here. What I like about that a lot is that the context is a human conversation, right? It's just you're just supporting that. Mm-hmm. And I would like to imagine in that hypothetical that if the student was, okay, yes, I get it. But, you know, I, I, I have a passion. I really want to. This is my vision. I've, I'm, I want to pursue against all obstacles this, this goal of being an aerospace engineer. Then, I mean, then that goes a certain direction with the, um, with the advisor because right. you wouldn't want to shut them down. No, and that, that's, that's something that's come up. Um, so what do you do? Well, it's like, okay, if that's your decision, yeah. then here are some – Supplemental resources, yes. some tutoring, or it's going to be a rough things. road. Yeah, know what you're getting in for, but you know, yep. okay, here's what you're going to have to probably pursue, and it's going to be some, you know, tutoring, extra resources, yeah. wh- whatever it is um, that that you're going to have to add to yeah. to try to try to get you to that goal. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, again, it's a data informed conversation that comes out of. Comes but out I love that us. opening doors, not closing. It's not. It's not like you're saying. Oh, yeah, the system said that it's like some kind of dystopian uh, Brave New World uh, <laughs> Aldous Huxley thing of, like, the system says you're not likely to succeed. Therefore, right here's your broom. You know, <laughs> it's some kind of horrible thing like that. Yeah. It's not that. Human yeah. conversations. Yeah. The other thing I loved, can I throw this out there? Mm-hmm. We both have talked recently about um, a Reply All um, miniseries. Oh, yeah. um, uh, called uh, Crime Machine, part one and part two. And I thought that was fascinating. I did too. I love that. But two things that really stood out to me, the, the kind of the originer, the originer? Origin. The, the originator of, of uh, what's it called? Comstat, that big, mm-hmm. you know, kind of um, law enforcement uh, database kind of thing. It was even, I think there was like a version of that that was talked about in the Craig T. Nelson, uh, the district TV show a few years ago, all that. There was this, the, the originator was a, was a beat cop, Jack Maple, and he had a, just a, sounds like an interesting way of just interpreting events around him and yep. seeing patterns. And there was this moment where they talk about in the episode of, he, he recognized that there was like this exit from a department store into the subway system at a certain time of day. He recognized that, that pickpockets were, were like 
there. And so he brought his like little protege along and they're just picking up pickpockets yep. left and right because he, he got it. Yeah. He got that. That's beautiful. And so helping other people discern those kinds of patterns would be a useful thing as opposed to um, abuses of the system. Yeah. And, and they, that, that two-part series in Reply All, I assume we'll link to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, is a is a fascinating case study in both the good and bad of analytics. For sure. And on the good side, I think is where it was a tool for human intervention. Yeah. And where where Jack Maple was able to use the data and then put people in the subway cars or whatever and, you know, <laughs> decoys and yeah, everything yeah, yeah. else that they oh, had. Oh, there were some great stories oh, in there. Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. But it, when it when it moves out of the realm of, okay, how can we use that for sort of human intervention to just a, we need to show certain numbers on the spreadsheet, um, then it, it seems to not be working as well. And, um, and as a result, there are there are real abuses going on, I think. Yeah, gaming the system, yeah. generating false data. There was a, one of the interviewees, I think maybe in the second part of that little mini-series, that uh, two-porter, talked about the misuse as a, it's a very interesting phrase, as a management tool. When you're using it to manage, like, okay, you got to see the numbers, and they talk about examples of, like, the you know, shift commander or whatever saying, all right, we need more... <laughs> We need more jaywalkers today. Yeah. Ignore other stuff. Yeah. Just looking for jaywalkers. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's and of course, insane. as I was listening, I couldn't help but sort of think of it as a, you know, as an, al- an analogy to education. Sure. The world that we live in. Yeah. And when you think about, um, I don't know, it, we'll we'll pick a particular punching bag that we like to pick on, which is the U.S. News World Report rankings. <laughs> <laughs> not that we're not appreciative. No, or... <laughs> not that we're not. But kind of at the macro level. Um, there are because of the influence of that that algorithm. Yeah. yeah. Um, it it privileges schools to get a lot of applicants so they can turn them down, right? Yeah. So that they can increase their selectivity. And the fewer students you admit, the the better you look. And that's not what we're about here at UCF. I mean, right. we're about right. educating as many people as we possibly can, not For trying sure. to to keep people out. So it, I, I'll get off that. High no, price. I. I I think that makes sense. Uh, that's good. I think going forward against, you know, we've been talking kind of at a broad brushstroke level. I, I think what we need as a as a sector in our higher ed uh, technology mediated, empowered uh, sector is more concrete examples that fit within that, uh, that big backdrop of all the caveats that we've issued in this episode, right? We need more concrete examples. I think a lot of our listeners are probably familiar a few years back it got a lot of attention, Purdue's Signals Project, mm-hmm. you know, kind of uh, the, what, the red light, yellow light, yep, uh, yep. green light kind of thing, or everything good, warning, warning, warning. <laughs> and, you know, a lot has been said about that, positive and, and negative. Yep. Michigan's got the My Analytics uh, mm-hmm. thing recently, mm-hmm. you can find information about that. Those degree compass that came yeah. out of Austin P. Yeah. Yep. We need just more of those. We, we've got a few, and we'll link to those in the, the show notes, uh, like our student performance dashboard, which is still kind of very beta. And and uh, we did stand up our performance insight tool. Um, different uh, LMS providers are coming up with their own stuff as well. And, you know, we just need more of those examples and figuring out what's working well with them and what's working not well about them. But gosh, I'm going to say it again. It's all got to be about humans in the loop connecting, you know, to other humans. The data just help. Right. Yeah. I wonder maybe before we wrap up, it would be worthwhile to kind of just um, uh, kind of define the uh, the different 
kinds of analytics, oh, like good. like their purposes. Yeah, that's good. And um, you know, I like to uh, to plagiarize from. <laughs> My colleague and former boss, uh, Joel Hartman. Well, at least we're going to do it. Yeah. Pick a good one. <laughs> I'm going to plagiarize and give citation credit. Is that um, possible? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but he, I think he's had a really good way of, of defining data usage, um, particularly in an educational context, um, as the descriptive, diagnostic, predictive, and prescriptive. So mm -hmm. descriptive data are data that tell you what happened. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, how, how many uh, students retained from spring to fall or mm -hmm. whatever. Diagnostic data <clears throat> tell you why did it happen. Predictive data is, okay, what do you think will happen? Like, what's the model? What's Kelvin's likelihood of success in this major or this course? Slim. <laughs> and then prescriptive data, which is, um, I think, where we all want to get to but also where there's, it's fraught with sort of ethical considerations, mm -hmm. yeah. is how can we make it happen? How can yeah. we, how can we um, you know, craft a particular outcome? And in the case of higher education, it's like how many students can we get to do well in class and graduate and have the majors that they want and the jobs that they want and all of that. Um, I think having that sort of a, a spectrum of, of data uh, mm -hmm. definitions, um, I think really helps us to figure out, okay, so which thing are we working on here? And, yeah. um, and how does it relate to these other things? Because they each have different use cases. I think that's excellent. Uh, you know, you shared with that, that with me a while back, and I thought that was great. And I've been pondering it, so I want to lay over the top of that one other broad construct, and mm -hmm. that is uh, there's kind of, I think, all one, two, three, four of those things. There's historic data, and there's real-time data, mm -hmm. right? Because... The four things, the descriptive, the diagnostic, the predictive, the prescriptive, can be true of either of those big pools, the historic stuff, which I've been thinking of as slow data, and the, the real time, like in our LMS, as the fast data, the fast moving stuff. Uh, and it's good to kind of know what data pool you're pulling into because the historic stuff can be useful as well. It can tell you what happened, why did it happen? What will happen? You can kind of base predictive models, and some companies do, right, yep, yep. on historic data only. Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Spotify. Exactly. Versus Amazon. the, the, the real-time, mm -hmm. fast-moving kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And uh, I think we all are sort of enamored of the fast-moving stuff. But, hey, starting somewhere, the, the historic data is a, not a bad place to, to start uh, as well. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what, maybe one last comment. I'll mm -hmm. give a, I'll give another shout out to a colleague of ours, um, uh, Kyle Bowen at mm -hmm. at Penn State. He's I, a good guy. I heard him say one time that uh, analytics is just math with good PR. <laughs> <laughs> that is Bowen esque. Yeah, and I thought, yeah, he's right because I think it's it's consistent with what we've said that it's it's really a tool for for human interaction. Yeah. No, that's that's excellent. Well, you want to land this plane and we can get on with our day. Sure. So uh, maybe we could say that empowering the decision-making of students and instructors, administrators, and senior administrative leaders with insights gleaned from historic and real-time data does have the potential to positively affect student success. Mm -hmm. But learning analytics is not a panacea, mm -hmm. nor should it be pursued without humans in the loop and yes. ethics uh, kind of yes. at the front of mind. Yes. Yes. Okay, any other business we need to attend to? Nah, we've used up all of <laughs> our time and our listeners' attention. Okay, well then, until next time, 
for TopCast. I'm Tom. I'm Kelvin. See ya.